0: section eleven of the three lieutenants this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org the three lieutenants by william henry giles kingston chapter nine jamaica murray appointed to the supple jack brig pull up to kingston port royal jack johnny ferrong's store visit to the bradshaws kind reception return the supplejack sails for the southward jamaica a hundred and sixty miles long by forty five broad is as everybody knows a very magnificent island but alas its ancient glory has departed for a time though it is to be hoped that one of the many panaceas proposed for its renovation may ere long restore it to its pristine state of prosperity port royal or kingston harbour capable of holding a thousand tall ships lies on its southern side towards its eastern end the harbour has for its sea boundary a low narrow sandy strip of land several miles in length called the palisades running from the east towards the west at which end is seen the town of port royal standing a few feet above the water and looking complacently on its predecessor buried eight fathoms below the surface by the earthquake of sixteen ninety two here too is the royal naval yard hospital barracks and the works of fort charles defending the entrance which is rendered still more difficult of access to an enemy by the apostle's battery erected on the opposite side with a fine range of mountains rising directly above it kingston that not over delectable of seaport stands on the northern shore of the harbor towards its eastern end and is thus a considerable distance from port royal the only communication between the two places being by water except by a circuitous route along the burning sands of the palisades which adventurous mids and juvenile subs have alone of mortals been known to attempt on horseback the land rises rapidly beyond the flat on which kingston stands the admiral's pen being some way above it while uphill barracks appear beautifully situated very much higher up the mountain the frigate lay at anchor off port royal the crippled corvette had just been towed into dock jack and terence were walking the deck under the awning having got ready to go on shore faith now this is a fine place exclaimed terence as he gazed over the wide expanse of the harbor the plain of liguania covered with plantations and dotted with white farmhouses quivering in the beams of a tropical sun beyond it rose the magnificent amphitheatre of the blue mountains one piled upon another reaching to the clouds and intersected by numerous deep irregular valleys one of their spurs with rock fort at its base appearing directly over the ship's port quarter while before the beam was seen at the end of a narrow spit of sand fort augusta its guns ready to sweep to destruction any hostile fleet which might attempt to enter and over the bow in the far distance could dimly be distinguished the town of kingston at the head of the lagoon not equal to Trinidad, though observed jack i don't know what your fair cousin maria would say if she heard you expatiate so warmly on its beauties i'd just invite her to come with me and judge for herself answered terence but why did you speak of her now i was beginning to fancy that i was getting the sweet creature out of my head for it's bothering me she has been ever since we left the island oh jack you're a hard-hearted fellow i thought that you would have fallen head over ears in love with stella i saw that miss o'regan was not likely to fall in love with me and besides for other reasons when i found how completely murray was captivated by her i soon conquered the admiration i felt said jack i wish, for his sake that they had never met dragged about as she is by her enthusiast of a father into all sorts of dangers it is impossible to say what may be her fate and it would go nigh to break his heart should her life be lost or any other misfortune happen to her here comes a shore boat we'll secure her to take us to kingston jack going to the gangway met the very person they had just been speaking of why murray my dear fellow we expected to meet you on shore he exclaimed what brings you back to look after my trap settle my mess accounts bid farewell to my late shipmates and take command of his majesty's brig supplejack fitting out at the dockyard and nearly ready for sea i am told answered murray i don't know whether to ask you to congratulate me or not i had hoped to make the acquaintance of some families on shore to whom i have letters of introduction but as they live some way from kingston i fear that i shall not have time to call on them one family the ravens are related to my antigua friends the houghtons and another the bradshaws to the colonel o'regan and his daughter of whom i hope to hear from them i feel anxious on the subject i confess for there are rumours on shore about the character of the brig they sailed in which i do not like i wish that she was safe back again the brig or the young lady exclaimed terence ah yes i understand the brig with the young lady aboard i'd like to give her a royal salute as she comes in which i dare say will be before long and as to hearing about her jack and i will make a pilgrimage to the ravens and bradshaws and bring you back all the intelligence we can collect if you haven't time to go yourself you may depend on us for that said jack but i say aleck you haven't told us by what good fortune you have been appointed to the supplejack for good fortune i call it to get an independent command whatever you may think by no unusual means through what i suspect the invidious will call nepotism when i went to pay my respects to the admiral he at once hailed me as a cousin told me he was glad to make my acquaintance expressed his regret at the loss of poor archie who was also related to him and wound up by saying that he should be very happy to forward my interests i was taking my leave wishing to get on to the bradshaws when he stopped me inviting me to and observing that he should by that time have something to say to me and wished besides to hear about old friends in Bonnie scotland this of course was equivalent to a royal command so i wrote to mrs bradshaw enclosing my letter of introduction and expressing my intention of calling on her and mrs raven as soon as i was at liberty you and terence will i have no doubt be welcomed if you can ride over to st david's you can explain more clearly than i could by letter how i am situated and you will not fail to inquire what has been heard about the o'regans after dinner the admiral who spoke in the kindest way possible said that Macleod, who he had intended should have command of the supplejack having been invalided as the corvette could not be refitted under three or four months he had appointed me in his stead and that he intended to transfer thirty of the corvette's crew to the brig with any officers i might name though i must consider my command but temporary i may possibly he hinted be confirmed in it congratulate you of course i do and though i'm not jealous it's just the sort of command i should jump at exclaimed terence i'm not quite so certain it is said that if a lieutenant is placed in command of a small craft he is never likely to get anything better observed jack however in your case it is different as the admiral will look after your interests did he tell you how and where you are to be employed my duty will be chiefly to look after slaves and pirates of whom a few occasionally appear sailing under the flags of some of the smaller south american states he mentioned also that i might probably be sent to the spanish main to protect british interests on that coast my thoughts at once i confess flew to colonel o'regan and his daughter and the possibility of meeting them though i trust that they may have returned safely to jamaica before i can get to the coast who knows by my faith i should be after wishing the contrary exclaimed terence what a romantic incident it would be now some morning just as day breaks to make out away to leeward a brig which you have no doubt is the sarah jane with a black rakish wicked-looking schooner close to just opening fire the brig fights bravely she had i think a couple of two or three pounders on board but she will to a certainty be captured you make all sail to her assistance for the pirate supposing you to be a merchantman doesn't up stick and run for it but the wind drops you take to your boats the black schooner has ranged up alongside the brig you arrive at the moment the brig's crew have been overpowered the colonel brought to the deck and the pirate captain a huge ugly negro is bearing off a fair lady in his arms you cut him down rescue the lady drive the pirates overboard the colonel on his legs blow up the schooner and are duly rewarded for your gallantry A vast terence with your nonsense exclaimed murray who had before been vainly endeavouring to stop the imaginative irishman you make me miserable in suggesting the bare possibility of such an occurrence the brig may be attacked but i might not arrive in time to save my friends now Alec, dear you remind me mightily of tim doolan the cowboy at ballymacree said terence i found tim one bright morning looking as unhappy as his twinkling eyes and cocked-up nose would let him tim my beauty what's the matter i asked it's a mr terence that i have had answered tim twisting his nose and mouth about in a curious manner and giving a peculiar wink with his right eye what is it man i asked. out with your dream well your honour it was just this i dreamt that i went to pay a visit to his holiness the pope and a civil old gentleman he was for he axed me if i'd take some whisky and water and on course i said yes hot or cold tim asked the pope hot your Reverence, says i and bad luck to me for my dad while the pope went down to the kitchen to get the kettle i awoke and now if i'd said cold i'd have had time to toss off a nogginful at last and it's that troubles me now it strikes me aleck that your waking imagination is as vivid as tim's but don't let it run away with you in this instance you'll see the sarah jane come safe into harbour before you leave it and have time to wish the young lady the top of the morning at all events you are incorrigible Patty," answered murray laughing in spite of himself as i have stood all your bantering i have the right to insist on your coming with me to inspect the supple jack before you go up to kingston his two friends of course agreed to the proposal and their carpet-bags being put into murray's boat they pulled for the dockyard at port royal the supplejack had her lower yards across and most of her stores on board in three or four days she might by an efficient crew be got ready for sea though murray would gladly have had a longer delay duty with him was paramount to every other consideration and he resolved to use every exertion to expedite her outfit she was not much of a beauty they were of opinion but she looked like a good sea-boat and jack thought that she would prove a fast craft which was of the most consequence though rated as a six-gun brig she carried only two carronades and a third long heavy gun amidships which they agreed under some circumstances would be of more avail than the four short guns it had replaced terence advised aleck to ask for two more carronades i might not get them if i did ask. so i will make good use if i have the chance of those on board was the answer captain hemming had been requested to spare murray five hands from the frigate he chose ben snatchblock the boatswain's mate to act as boatswain a great promotion for ben and for others these with a dozen hands before belonging to the brig the rest having died of yellow fever sent home invalided or deserted made up his compliment he had applied for and obtained old higson a former shipmate who had so taken to heart the loss of the three midshipmen that he was anxious for more stirring employment than he could find on board the frigate likely to be detained for some time at jamaica or not to go much farther than cuba the other officers were selected from the corvette the old mate was highly pleased he had the duty of a first lieutenant and was one in all respects except in name though not to be sure over a very large ship's company hard drinker and careless as he had been sometimes on shore murray knew that he could trust him thoroughly when responsibility was thrown on his shoulders and hoped that by being raised in his own estimation he might altogether be weaned of his bad habits jack and terence sailed up to kingston with a fresh sea breeze a beam blowing over the sandy shore of the palisades take care you don't capsize us said jack to the black skipper who carried on till the boat's gunwale was almost under water nebber tink i do dat massa lieutenant not pleasant place to take swim answered the man with a broad grin on his ebon features showing his white teeth i think not indeed exclaimed terence look there he pointed to a huge shark its triangular fin just above the surface keeping two or three fathoms off even with the boat at which the monster every now and then as he declared gave a wicked leer what do you call that fellow dat massa dat is port royal jack answered the negro he keep watch ober de harbour kesbukwa sailors swim ashore he no come up much fodder when he find out we boat from de shore see he go away now the shark gave a whisk with his tail and disappeared in an instant the young officers breathed more freely when their ill-omened companion had gone almost immediately afterwards a boat belonging to a large merchantman lying at the mouth of the harbor ready for sea passed them under all sail her crew of eight hands had evidently taken a parting glass with their friends dey carried too much canvas wid de grog de hab aboard observed the black better look out for squalls he hailed but received only a taunting jeer in return and the boat sped on her course not a minute had passed when jack and terence heard the negro mate who was watching the boat sing out dere dey go jack shark git dem now eh looking in the direction the black's chin was pointing to their horror they saw that the boat had capsized her masts and sails appearing for an instant as she rapidly went to the bottom while the people were writhing and struggling on the surface shrieking out loudly for help jack and terence ordered the black to put the boat about instantly and go to their rescue nearly two minutes passed before they reached the spot five men only were floating the ensanguined hue of the water told too plainly what had been the fate of the others help help for god's sake help shrieked out a man near them in an agony of fear at that instant a white object was seen rising it seemed from the bottom the hapless man threw up his arms and uttering a piercing shriek disappeared beneath the water the other four men could swim but almost paralyzed with fear kept crying out for help without making any effort to save themselves striking out wildly round and round as if they did not see the approaching boat first one was hauled on board then another and another jack had got hold of the fourth and was dragging him in when a shark rose from the bottom the negro boatman's quick eye had espied the monster he darted down his boat-hook into the open mouth of the shark which closing its jaws bit off the iron and a part of the stock while by a violent effort jack and terence jerked the man inboard thus saving his legs and probably his life they were now directly over the spot where the boat went down and so clear was the water the ruddy stains having disappeared that they could see her as she lay at the bottom jack was standing up when he exclaimed there is a poor fellow entangled in the rigging he seems alive i think that i could bring him up influenced by a generous impulse and forgetting the fearful monsters in the neighborhood he was on the point of leaping overboard when the black boatman seized his arm crying out no no massa dat one shark hisself jack looked again and the object he had mistaken for a seaman's white shirt resolved itself into the white belly of a shark the creature being employed in gnawing the throat of its victim dat is what dey always do observed the black coolie dey drag down by defeat and den dey begin to eat at de throat probably because the throat is the part of the body most exposed jack and terence carried the survivors up to kingston except that they uttered a few expressions of regret at the sad fate of their shipmates the men seemed very little concerned or grateful to heaven for their own preservation and immediately on landing they went into a grog shop where they probably soon forgot all about the matter such is the force of habit jack and terence were not enchanted with the silent half-deserted streets of kingston through which having lost their way they paraded for half an hour or more but after eating a pink-coloured shattuck and a a half-a-dozen juicy oranges obtained from a smiling-faced negress market-woman their spirits rose things begin to wear a more roseate hue may be tinged with the juice of the fruit we've swallowed said terence laughing and here's johnny farang's store we were looking for i've no doubt they entered and received a hearty welcome from that most loquacious and facetious of frenchmen who offered to supply them with every possible article they could require in any quantity from a needle to an anchor they wanted something it was information how best to get out to st david's not a profitable article to supply them with but johnny ferrong afforded it with apparently infinite pleasure and further assisted to raise their spirits and confirm their resolution of becoming customers by handing them each a glass of cool sparkling champagne and immediately replenishing it when empty and you want to pay visit to madame bradshaw charmant lady den i will order one voiture for vous which take vus dere let me see in two hours and one half and vus stay dere and come back in de cool o de morning in de evening, and de next day if vus please said mr ferrong bowing and smiling as he spoke in the mode habitual to him it will never do to take people by storm in that fashion exclaimed jack unless we can get back to-night we had better put off our visit till to-morrow morning terence who was modesty itself in such a case agreed with him mr ferrong however laughed at their scruples assuring them that mr and mrs bradshaw would be delighted to see them whether strangers or not that he would be answerable for all consequences and settle the matter by sending off a black boy to order the carriage forthwith and to fetch their carpet-bags from the inn where they had been deposited on landing in the meantime jack and terence found several acquaintances among the visitors chiefly naval and military officers assembled in johnny Ferrand's reception-room forming the lower story of his store or warehouse there were also a few merchant skippers and civilian agents of estates clerics and others countless glass cases exhibiting wares of all sorts and goods of every description in bales packages boxes and casks were piled up or scattered about the place serving for seats for the guests most of whom were smoking and sipping sangaree while jack was talking to an old shipmate he unexpectedly met a skipper and a merchant were engaged in an earnest conversation near him and he could not help overhearing some of the remarks which dropped from them if captain crowhurst can manage to run his cargo before the brig's character is suspected it will be an easy affair for him but if not he will find it a difficult job they have got half a dozen armed craft which will watch her pretty sharply and i know those mongrel spaniards well if they catch her they'll not scruple to sink her and shoot every man on board these remarks were made by the skipper but the sarah jane is a fast craft and will i should hope be able to keep out of their way said the merchant in an anxious voice we should be unable to recover her insurance should she be sunk i fear as certainly as the poor fellows who may be shot would be unable to come to life again observed the skipper dryly to my mind it's not fair to send men on such an adventure they are aware of what they are about and know the risk they run said the merchant the captain and supercargo may but not the rest of the people and that's what i find fault with observed the skipper jack heartily agreed with the last speaker and was on the point of turning round to make inquiries about the sarah jane when the merchant suspecting that they must have been overheard drew his companion aside and left the store jack asked mr ferang if he could give him the information he desired but the frenchman shrugging his shoulders replied that he knew nothing of the affairs of his customers his business was to obtain his little wares of de best quality and to sell them at the lowest price possible in a short time the carriage appeared with their carpet-bags strapped on behind and covered with a tarpaulin it was a species of gig with a seat in front for the driver and had two horses one in the shafts and the other prancing in comparative freedom secured by traces to an outrigger away they started at furious speed and before long were ascending the side of the magnificent liguania mountains now proceeding along a romantic valley with a babbling stream on one side now passing over a height now along a level or but slightly sloping spot for a half a mile or so but gradually getting higher and higher above the plain sometimes when exposed to the sun's rays they found it hot enough but frequently they travelled under the long shadow of some gigantic cotton-tree shooting up into the blue heavens or beneath a grove of graceful palms the tendrils of the yam and granadillos climbing up them with fences on either side covered by numberless creepers passion-flowers of varied sizes and convolvuli of countless descriptions the whole country seemed like an assemblage of orchards composed of orange trees and fruit and flower lemon and citron trees glossy leaves star apples the avocado with its huge pear and the bread fruit tree bearing still vaster fruit and leaves of proportionate size while beneath them were seen in abundance the unfailing food of man in tropical climes the ever cool fresh green plantain indeed the strangers felt bewildered amid the variety of trees shrubs and plants which surrounded them a perfect paradise this exclaimed jack who was not much addicted however thus to express his feelings see the vegetation reaches to the very summit of the highest mountains inhabited by no small number of ebon-hued Adams and eaves observed terence pointing to several palm-thatched whitewashed huts a little way off before which was collected a group of negroes men and women and children laughing shouting and talking looking wonderfully happy the former all neatly habited and though the smaller members of the community were not overburdened with clothing they looked as plump and jolly as need be i only wish that our peasantry in old ireland were as well off as these people seemed to be and those of england also said jack still slavery is an abomination and i pray that it may some day cease throughout the world the lieutenants scarcely believed that the time they expected to be on the road had elapsed when their driver pointed to a wide-spreading low mansion with verandahs all round it and extensive outbuildings and said dere dat st david's somehow or other they had expected to see only a mr and mrs bradshaw their surprise was considerable when they met with a reception not unlike that at trinidad from a matronly dame and a number of young damsels except that they did not claim adair as a relation we were expecting mr murray and regret not seeing him but his brother officers are most welcome said mrs bradshaw when she had glanced at alec's letter she then introduced the two lieutenants by name to her eldest daughter fanny and to her three little girls as she called them but though the youngest was barely thirteen they all looked like grown women adair was quickly at home with them answering the questions they showered on him jack remained talking to mrs bradshaw and fanny he mentioned murray's anxiety about the o'regans I fear that he has good reason to be anxious answered mrs bradshaw the colonel promised to bring his daughter here long ago and we were expecting to see her when we heard that he had carried her off on another of his wild expeditions he wrote word from Antigua that he intended to be but a short time away so that they may possibly arrive in a day or two we long to have her safe with us for though fanny is the only one who knows her as they were at a finishing school together in england from the account she gives we are all prepared to love her yes indeed exclaimed fanny she was a delightful creature the pet and darling of the school one of the youngest among us and i should never have supposed that she would have been able to go through what she has done since while they were speaking mr bradshaw arrived a stout bald-headed middle-aged gentleman with ruddy countenance dressed in nankin trousers white jacket and broad brimmed straw hat which he doffed as he approached the strangers glancing from one to the other and then having settled in his mind that jack rogers was alec murray shook his hand which he grasped with the greatest warmth happy to welcome you to st david's my dear sir only wish that our expected friends were here also a great disappointment to us and to you likewise i feel sure eh and he gave a facetious look at jack as much as to say i know all about it my dear this gentleman is lieutenant rogers mr murray has been unable to come up said mrs bradshaw and she explained how matters stood jack thought that he ought to speak of going back mr bradshaw laughed at the notion utterly out of the question stay a week or as long as you have leave send your Shanradan back to-morrow morning and i'll drive you down in my buggy when you have to go thus pressed jack confessed that he and adair had brought their carpet-bags not knowing where they might have to put up and accepted the invitation for the night but said that on murray's account they must return the next day to see him before he sailed and to tell him what they had heard respecting colonel and miss o'regan you may assure your friend that he will ever be welcome here and i hope that we shall have the young lady with us when he returns answered mr bradshaw i will not say the same with regard to her impracticable father for between you and i the farther he is away from her the better i am no admirer of his wild harem scarum schemes though he is individually a brave and honourable man and had he not foolishly quarrelled with the authorities at home he would never have lacked employment under the flag of england instead of knocking his head against stone walls in quarrels not his own these remarks of the worthy planter explained colonel o'regan's character to jack more clearly than anything he had before heard he had before entertained some unpleasant suspicions on the subject they were confirmed and he now only hoped that murray would not should he marry stella be induced to join any of her father's schemes of that however if cautioned he did not think there was much risk had terence been the favoured lover the case would have been different for enthusiastic himself he might easily have been won over by the colonel's persuasive powers dinner was soon announced jack and terence who were very hungry did ample justice to the solids as well as to the numerous west indian delicacies and rich fruits pressed on them by their fair hostesses the shaddocks the mangoes and above all the granadillos which were pronounced like strawberries and cream but superior to any such mixture ever tasted in europe they enjoyed too a most pleasant evening several friends having come in among them mr and mrs raven nice young people full of life and spirits mrs raven was glad she said to make the acquaintance of lieutenant murray's brother officers of whom she had heard from her mother mrs houghton and only regretted that he himself was unable to come however she added we may hope to see him frequently by and by on his return from his cruise they had dancing of course as young people never think of meeting in the west indies without it and some delightful music for the younger girls had been taught by fanny who was highly accomplished mr bradshaw observed that they did pretty well considering that they had not the advantages of their elder sister times were changed in jamaica and he could not afford to pay three hundred a year for the education of each of them as he had done for her no but they are better housekeepers and understand far more about preserving and pickling than she does and there is not a bird or a flower on the estate or indeed in any part of the island with which they are not acquainted remarked mrs bradshaw with motherly pride thanks to fanny too they are really considering their ages not so very much behind her in book knowledge we need not regret having kept them with us i agree in all you say mrs b rejoined her husband rubbing his hands and laughing and as i am eighteen hundred pounds the richer or let me see in three years with the addition of their voyages and dress the cost of sending them home would have amounted to three thousand or more i do not complain i assure you the young officers listened with surprise and not a little amusement at this eulogium on the young ladies and the accompanying remarks uttered they believed correctly without any ulterior object it gave them some idea of the expense to which west indian parents were put for the education of their girls of which they before had no conception faith more than double a lieutenant's pay ejaculated terence as he was turning in at night if he would make that allowance to fanny the eldest of the three i'd do my best to win her before the ship sails i can't stand it jack i must either stay abroad and do duty for cherry or never set eyes on these hurries again or knock under to one or the other there's luck in odd numbers says rory o'more answered jack from his side of the room you divided your attention very fairly among the young ladies and depend on it they will as easily forget us as we shall get them out of our heads by the time we have been a few days at sea so don't bother yourself about the matter Patty, but go to sleep whether or not terence followed his advice jack could not tell for he himself very soon went off into a sound slumber the house was astir at daybreak and not long after the white dresses and broad-brimmed straw hats of the young ladies were seen in the garden amid the fragrant flowers with glittering humming-birds and gorgeous butterflies flitting about in all directions the lieutenants speedily joined them jack's wise resolutions were almost overcome he had made up his mind to take leave after breakfast they looked so bright and happy the air was so fresh the flowers so sweet he and terence could not fail to spend a pleasant day but then he remembered murray who would be anxiously looking for their return then you'll come again soon mr adair if mr rogers thinks you must go now said fanny with a strong emphasis on the must and a gentle sigh you will always be welcome at st david's added mr bradshaw and tell lieutenant murray that i will let him know should i hear anything about the sarah jane i may possibly get information which might not reach him their own vehicle not having started they returned to kingston in it well baked by the burning rays of the sun with a case of champagne and a few other articles obtained of johnny as presents to murray they returned in the evening to port royal alec thanked them heartily he had so zealously pushed forward the brig's equipment that she would be ready for sea the next day that very evening he received orders from the admiral to sail immediately if he could a dispatch had just arrived from the british consul at Cartagena, stating that disturbances had broken out in the country and requesting to have a man-of-war sent immediately for the protection of british subjects residing there and elsewhere along the coast captain hemming had been directed to send fifty hands from the frigate and with the assistance of rogers and adair by working all night the sails were bent and early next morning the brig glided out into the harbor the land wind still blew strong smelling of the hot earth albeit mixed with spicy odors murray was eager to be away his duty required him to use all speed he had also a feeling that he might be of service to those in whom he was so deeply interested he spoke of it to his friends second-side eh alec said rogers i have no great faith in that but i am very sure that whatever has to be done you will do it thoroughly i wish that i could accompany you exclaimed adair if hemming would spare me i'd have my traps on board in a jiffy i should be glad of your company the admiral however in a private note says that he shall probably dispatch the frigate in a few days but he remarks that the brig will be of greater service by being able to enter the rivers and harbors which she cannot answered murray rogers and adair watched the supplejack as she glided out of the harbor under all sail to the southward before the wind till she met the sea-breeze when hauling her tacks aboard she heeled over to it and stood away to the south-west her canvas gradually disappearing below the horizon jack and terence spent their time pleasantly enough on shore johnny ferrong's store being one of their favorite places of resort as it was of officers of all ranks captain hemming had made a rule that his midshipmen when they returned on board after leave should send in a written statement of the places and people they had visited he was much amused at the frequency of such entries as the following called on j ferrong's esq spent the evening at j ferrong's esq music and a hop sometimes added lunched at jay frong's esq in those days jamaica flourished but alas her time came and so did that of the well-known highly esteemed johnny as the island went down he ceased to flourish and at length kingston knew him no more except as one of her departed worthies chapter nine